Let us pray together. God, you come to us in many storm, in many ways and in many stories. Open our hearts that we might hear your word for us in this text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, it is not often that we hear an entire book of the Bible proclaimed during one service. Ten chapters, one book, it's a good read. This morning, I've tried to present to you a fair representation of the text. Sadly, a few famous and fabulous plot twists were left out, but I hope you'll read them for yourself. I hope you're able to get a sense for the characters. Esther, beautiful, young, and brave. The king, vain, bumbling, and easily pushed around. Mordecai, yeah, he's faithful and honest. And Haman, ooh. Boo, yeah. He is vain and vicious. This story leaves much to ponder and discuss. So this morning, I want to make a few observations about our text and then let the story speak for itself and speak to us. So first, please do not overlook the patriarchy and the politics in this text. It can be difficult for us to grasp all the social barriers and political dynamics when we live in such a different time. Just as a reminder, women were property, kings had no friends. And I am amazed at the different ways this text can be expressed, depending on how we handle or mishandle this first point. For example, Vashti, the first queen, is sometimes scorned or overlooked. But sometimes, people point to her as a brave, even feminist role model. Why did she refuse to come to the king's drunken party? Was she headstrong or sick of playing the game? Was she tired or self-aware? Was she afraid or brave? It all depends on how you view the gendered power differences. Esther was very likely a young girl around 12 when she was taken to the king's palace and placed in his harem. She had to be good with people and probably politically savvy to be able to become the queen. When we forget the historic politics and possibilities of a harem, we might call this process a beauty pageant. Second, God is not named anywhere in the book of Esther. That freaks some people out. But it's scripture. Yes, it is. Isn't that interesting? You may recall that we used the word prayer in our retelling. Esther prayed before going to the king. That is actually based on context clues. The text speaks of fasting for three days, which reminds the reader of prayer and known prayerful practices. But again, there is no overt language about God or anything overtly spiritual. Yet the book of Esther was kept in the biblical canon explicitly because it is the foundational text for practicing the Jewish festival Purim. And from all accounts, Purim is a joyous, festive occasion, something akin to Halloween and Mardi Gras rolled up into one. There are costumes and masks, your entire family gathers around the table with plenty to eat and drink and drink and drink. Yes, it is a big party. And it fits the story somewhat, does it not? 
Almost all major plot points happen around banquets and meals. The story of Esther is told or enacted during the meal as a way of celebrating the brave Queen Esther and how she and Mordecai vanquished the evil Haman. And together, they saved the Jewish people. Now, the violence in the story is not unusual for the Bible, but it does cause some of us to pause. It's interesting to note that Esther herself asks the king for an outcome rather than demanding a process. She asks for her life and the lives of her people. People are valuable to a king, and she plays her cards well. It is the king who asks for more detail, and Esther does not flinch in calling out Haman for his wicked deeds. She asks for life. She asks the king to act to prevent genocide. And then later, she herself sanctions violence. But we'll get to that in a minute. One way of looking at this story, with all of its intrigue and violence, is, a, is as a type of carnival literature, or carnival literature. Dr. Adele Berlin, a Hebrew scholar, writes this. Esther's secret identities, gross indulgences, innuendos, and nefarious plot against the Jews are part and parcel of the carnivalesque world of madness, hilarity, violence, and mock destruction. Indeed, violence is very much a part of this world, and it is in this framework that we should understand the slaughter of the enemies of the Jews in chapter 9. The killing is no more real than anything else in the plot, and is completely in character with the story's carnivalesque nature. It is in this light that we should understand Esther. She goes on to say the largest interpretive problems melt away when the story is taken as a farce or a comedy associated with a carnival. The book sets out a threat to the Jews so that the Jewish audience can watch with glee and laugh with relief as it is overcome. The mad and threatening world of the beginning of the story fades into a happy ending where, for a brief moment, the Jews, through their two representatives, can play at wielding the highest power in the great empire to which they were, in reality, subservient, and in which they were an insignificant minority. A small community of faithful people live in a culture that does not appreciate or perhaps even respect their faith and their desire to prioritize God or worship. Does any of this sound familiar? So they have a festival, share a meal, throw a party, and watch a movie where the underdogs win in the end. It sounds slightly familiar. I mean, sure, we are not in danger due to our faith, but it is certainly not the norm to be Christian in Marin. I wonder what it would look like if we were to make our own version of this story, a Marin Christian version. What would the face of Haman look like? Would Haman be an assistant coach, a soccer coach perhaps, that requires practice every Sunday morning? Maybe the king is the head of the league and Esther is our star player, and she says, let my people go to church. <laughs> it's not quite right, but the longer I consider the purpose of Esther, it was to give good news about God's providence to a scattered people, a minority in numbers, the more it starts to feel familiar. On Thursday of this past week, I went hunting for a children's storybook to help me prepare for this morning. I thought I'd seen this particular book somewhere on our shelves. 
I searched all the classrooms in the education building, and I walked over here to our library. I couldn't tell if anyone was inside, so I knocked as I pulled out my keys. Now, I don't usually knock on the library door. I simply use my key and just walk on in. But I did, and once I knocked, I heard rustling and I got nervous. I just disturbed someone. But it was too late to run, so I waited. The door opened to one of our women's small groups, Windows, which meets routinely in our library. I had completely forgotten that this group might be here at such a time. There was immediate interest and excitement at my sudden arrival because I was looking for a book on Esther and the women were in the throes of a discussion on the same topic. They had just finished their retelling of the story, the whole story, to one another, and they were beginning to discuss what sections popped for them. Their energy was palpable. I was invited to stay, so I took a seat. In that conversation, everyone identified with a slightly different aspect of the reading. If we'd stayed talking all afternoon, we wouldn't have solved the questions we had for the text. For the brief 15 minutes or so we were together, I was fed. I was fed by people struggling to make sense of our life, of their own lives, questions and sensitivities mirrored in the injustice, the brutality, the courage, the wisdom, the humor, the joy of the story of Esther. In the search for meaning together, I experienced laughter, communion, relationship, joy and wonder brought about by a story that touched many nerves and in the way that a good story does, left us with more questions than answers. Being in the room, experiencing this faithful gathering, God was not hidden in the text. God's name may not be writ large in the Hebrew, but surely the Spirit was present in our gathering around Esther. And so it is with our God and our faithful community. We gather together, we tell stories, and we feast on each other in the ways that God is moving in our lives. When two or more are gathered, there will I be, says the Lord. We are the church. God's name and even God's presence may be hidden in the text in our own life, but the great and holy one who was, and is, and ever shall be, is, was, and will be present in and among and between us as we ask our hard questions and strive to live faithfully. This morning, we are invited to another type of festival here in San Anselmo, to share in the story of our city and neighborhood at the country fair. I suspect there will be a little less intrigue than what's in Esther, but just as much silliness, joy, and larger-than-life characters. I hope you will share your thoughts and ideas, share your stories with each other and with our community. May we enjoy each other's presence and give thanks to the one who makes life possible. Amen.